Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Pittsburgh is a city of neighborhoods, each with its own rites and rituals. A patchwork of cultures that took shape over a century ago. Back then, the city was a beacon of hope and possibility for people from all over the world, offering the promise of work, prosperity, a new life. Pittsburgh could have been another company town gone to beautiful ruin. But something happened. The city started to pop up on lists of the most livable places in America. It became attractive to a new wave of people from elsewhere looking to reinvent themselves and make a new world. And so we find ourselves asking the same questions we ask in other cities in transition. Are the new arrivals, new money, new ideas saving the city or cannibalizing it? Who will live in the Pittsburgh of the future? And will there be room for the people who stayed true, stuck with it their whole lives? Oh man, I'm very happy about this. Sausage and peppers, one of my favorite things. All right. Bacha, the ancient game of kings. Throw the little ball, try and get the other balls close. Closer than the other guys. 
Gentile. 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 Gene, Uncle Gene, this is Anthony Bourdain. How do you do? 103 years old. 103 years old. Looking good. He goes up and down these bocce courts faster than anybody else. <laughs> ah, delicious. This is a weakness of mine. You know, they have these street fairs in New York where they do the sausage and pepper stands. I cannot walk past one of those things without getting them. So, how long have you lived in, lived in this community? 78 years. So, your whole life? Now, the first wave of Italians who came here from Italy, why did they come here? They come here for steel jobs, coal? Actually, trade. I think they came here more for the trade. Yeah. Yeah. Plumbers, bricklayers, any kind of trade like that. Some Italians said that they were told to come over here and they were going to find the roads paved with gold. They said, they didn't tell us we had to build them first. Yeah. <laughs> How's the neighborhood changed over the years? Still, still predominantly Italian-American? Yeah, not as much as it was, but still more Italian than anything else. Well, for 35 years or so, it was a tough time for Pittsburgh. Why, why, why'd people stay? Family, familia. I tell people, when you come to Bloomfield, don't talk about anybody because we're all connected somehow. All right, you. on you, sir. That's it. Yeah, okay, go ahead. Don't hit nothing, go around. Oh! Water room for four. Hey, Uncle Yunji can take care of it. Three-year-old Uncle Gene ruins my dreams of bocce immortality. Come on, Orr. And the weather, as if on cue, turns bad. An auger of doom, perhaps. That's a shame. And God himself appears to align himself against me, hurling all that beautiful zalzich and meatballs out of the cold, wet ground. That feel good. That's still good. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm glad I got to eat. <laughs> Arlene said, as they passed the old Nabisco plant, cleaned up in advertising condominiums. Have you heard how much they're asking for a one bedroom? How much? A million two. That is highway robbery. Who would honestly pay that to live in East Liberty? They're calling it East Side now. Who's calling it that? No one I know. It's a boondoggle if I ever saw one. Beside the greed factor, she didn't actually mind the condos. Better than leaving the building empty. 
Stuart Onan is a local author who has written 15 novels, many set in Pittsburgh. We're the, the city that made the steel that beat the Confederacy, beat the Kaiser, built the skyscrapers, built the bridges, beat the Nazis. Who came in the very beginning, lured by jobs in steel and... Most of the people that came here, once the steel industry was in place, were people from Central Europe. They were blue collar, they worked long hours, they, they worked hard, dangerous jobs. They made the money to send their kids to schools to become white collar. At one point, I believe we were the sixth largest city in America. We're now 63rd. Go ahead, Reddit. Sixth largest in America, now 63rd. 63rd. So, yeah. what happened? Well, the, the steel industry began to falter in the 1960s, and by the 1980s, it was essentially dead. In, in the 1980s, this place was a ghost town. We lost half of our population. They went away. We, right. And half of your population means at least half, if not more, of your tax base. But, so what went right? What went right? What, what? what went right, weirdly enough, was what went wrong. We became attractive to people outside of Pittsburgh because it's super affordable. Bow down to your new masters, your techie future, the robot overlords of a shiny new Pittsburgh. The computer science program at Carnegie Mellon is one of the best in the country, inspiring an arms race between companies looking to recruit brainiacs for new fields of artificial intelligence, cutting-edge medical research, possibly cyborg super nerds who will no doubt revenge themselves on all of us for their painful high school experiences by crushing us between their synthetic mandibles. They are also good for business. Thank you. The Googlers who are coming in are coming in at the very top of the food chain. And they're, they're walking into brand new housing. They're making six figures, they're 23 years old. Right. And, and, and you know, I, I think the old school, the people that have been here forever, are not happy about that. I mean, you know, is it, it's going to be all pencil necks, like in uh, 20 years. <laughs> Bad breeding stock. <laughs> it's the problem of inclusion and exclusion, right? It's the American problem, right? It's what Fitzgerald writes about in Gatsby. Who is included, who's excluded, who's allowed in, who isn't? Right. And, that, and that's the worry, that we're going to forget the people that have lived through it and, and have stayed here and had no choice but to stay here. Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Whether it's routine maintenance and emergency repair or a dream project, Angie lets you compare quotes from multiple local pros, browse homeowner reviews, and even book a service instantly. Angie's been connecting people with skilled pros for nearly 30 years. So the next time you have a home project, bring it to Angie to get your job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, CNN's chief medical correspondent. This week on Chasing Life... I'm a health reporter and have been for 15 years. And even I feel overwhelmed by some of the things I read about the stuff we're eating. My colleague Meg Terrell wanted to take a deep dive into something you've probably heard a lot about recently. Ultra-processed foods. There is a lot to learn there, some fascinating stuff. And some of it is probably going to change the way you shop. Listen to Chasing Life 
wherever you get your podcasts. Pittsburgh's Deutschtown is home to one of the oldest German clubs in the U.S. Immigrants founded it in 1854 to preserve a link to their motherland. Today, a new generation is leaving their mark on the city. Justin Severino opened his restaurant Cure as an ode to flesh, smoke, and animal fat. Maggie Meske designs and creates cocktail programs at bars and restaurants across the city. And Sonia Finn was here from the beginning, planting the flag for farm-to-table cooking back in the early days with her restaurant, Dinette. countryside around Pittsburgh is beautiful. Another world. I join a group of foodie all-stars about 20 miles outside of town for a meal. Are there typical, iconic Pittsburgher qualities? So you probably worked here and brag about working here. You, you complain about millennials. You complain about the people <laughs> on the street harassing you. You don't like anything new right? at all. You're describing me. The menu is looking good, right in my happy zone. Racks of pork rib, grilled hearts of escarole and turnips, a sauce made from the pork drippings, and four types of sausage. They're not now. Look at this. Whoa. This is amazing. Ooh, that's Titanic. I don't want to speak about Pittsburgh in a dismissive way, but, but it was not known for being what it is today. People are talking a lot about the food scene here. It was not always so. So what were people eating before? You know, steak and potatoes. You know, living in San Francisco, as a young person in your 20s, you were going out to eat. That was really important. And we all knew about the restaurants, whether you were in the restaurant business or not. Right. Um, and that was in Pittsburgh. And when I opened Dinette in 2008, you know, I'm expecting people like me to be coming in. I'm 29. That's who I'm building this restaurant for. And everyone was... 56. My, yeah, my parents' age or older. You know, I thought to myself, I'm going to this neighborhood that's basically desolate. I'm going to take this building that's been, it's a restaurant that's been closed for seven years. And, um, you know, I'm going to do something nice here. You know, I didn't expect the reaction I got from the actual people that lived around me. Right. Uh, you know, which was not positive. They liked it the way it was. You know, that was their life. And, right. Um, you know, I move in and all of a sudden I open this restaurant and people with nice fancy cars are taking their parking spaces. Right. And, and now I'm a yuppie gentrifier. Well, you know what I mean? You know, own it. Sometimes it kind of hurts, right, as a restaurant owner, a small business owner, because there are always haters out there, and you feel like, okay, so somebody wants me to be a small business owner and take care of my employees, and then also on me, they're going to talk about gentrification, right? Like, you're just, you're just trying to do your thing. You're just trying to do something good. 
Right. Um, and, and, so that can, and you're trying to do it for you. Yeah. And you should. Yeah, but but I don't know. I mean, for me, it's different. Like, I definitely was thinking about the neighborhood when I did it. Like, I'm not some egomaniac who thinks that, like, just putting out my food is a reason to, like, so everyone can enjoy the, like, artistry of my food. That's why I'm opening a restaurant. That's right. not the point. Well, I mean, I, I mean not, not to disagree with anything that you just said, but like I didn't open Cure in Lawrenceville because I wanted to change the neighborhood. <laughs> I honestly did open Cure for me, 100%. I was like struggling professionally, struggling personally. Cure was all about satisfying me, like 100%. If I'm running a high-end restaurant in Pittsburgh, uh, who am I employing as porters, dishwashers? Honestly, like students. Our, our dishwashers are, they're white kids. No way. Yeah. yeah. Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania is a, a big, bright, shining star of an example of what blue-collar America, I think, was mm -hmm. 100 years ago. When we're looking at, like, who's applying, we also need to look at neighborhoods. The topography of Pittsburgh is such that, like, neighborhoods are separated by... Bridges. By, and, uh, bridges and ravines. Yeah, and rivers this sort and all this other stuff, yeah. that, like, people stay within their neighborhood. Everybody's talking now about a Pittsburgh Renaissance. There are artists coming, there are hit new restaurants. Somebody's making money. Uh, yes. Money's definitely coming in. Is it lifting all boats? No, it is not. The new Pittsburgh attracts new people, but it doesn't change the life for those workers who were left behind and kind of spit out. This is the Hill District, traditionally African-American. The numbers here do not indicate a renaissance. Black homes take in half the income of their white neighbors, and African-American youth are six times as likely to be arrested, go through the system from which many can never break free. When activist Salahuddin was growing up here, the neighborhood was thriving the Golden Age Harlem of Pittsburgh. They used to call this city hell with the lid off. The mills ran 24 hours a day. I grew up at a time when most adult men in the neighborhood, in the morning, I saw them getting up and going to work. My dad, for example, dropped out of school, but was still able to find work that paid enough to raise a family. Um, my mother had 12 children. And your dad was able to raise 12 kids. That's right. Oh, not. Wow. <laughs> that was a very different America. <laughs> that was a very different America. Uh-oh, how you doing, Solomon? Good, good. where I live, this is where I grew up. All of this area, this whole flat parking lot area that you see, this is where we lived. Devastation. They just completely devastated our whole neighborhood. In 
In the 1950s, the city came up with a plan to revitalize the Hill District by leveling large swaths of it. 8,000 residents, including Sala, were displaced. And instead of new housing, the land was used to build a hockey arena. Difficult, painful memories of what used to be, and now we see suburbanites coming in to have a good time, visit the Penguins. They don't live here. They just play here. And they don't, they don't know the, the pain that this playground caused. What's the missing uh, component here? What's missing is a, an economic plan for, that includes everybody, not just the techies right. and the computer geeks, but regular people. By day, a mild-mannered dentist in training, but at night, she becomes, well, a superhero. Brittany Baker is a star of the International Wrestling Cartel. Tonight, she defends her title in a battle of the wrestling titans. Boyfriend Adam Cole hopes to win a championship of his own. What do you think it's big here? In Pittsburgh? Yeah, what is it about Pittsburgh? That... Pittsburgh is a big sports city in general. We have the Penguins, the Pirates, the Steelers. They're so proud of their sports team. They are. They're yeah. very proud of their wrestling organization. Everyone's independent. No one's, like, contracted. You work where you want to work and how you want to work. The big town, small city vibe. So the fact that it's not WWE is a point of pride. Yep. To me, wrestling fans are the most passionate fans of any form of sport or entertainment. I will confess to you that I took a dim view of uh, professional wrestling. Like, I thought, okay. Yeah, yeah, it's not real. It's like uh, these outrageous characters. I don't get it at all. <laughs> and my, my daughter started to get really into it with her best friend. So I got tickets to WWE oh, right in on. New York. And I go in, I'm, I'm oh, like, I wow. want to wear a bag on my head because I'm like really embarrassed to go to this thing. <laughs> this is going to be totally lame. Well, oh, no. five minutes into this thing, I, I think this is like the greatest show on earth. It's physically very, very demanding, and more to the point, it's super dangerous. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, most wrestlers get really busted up. Some of these pile drivers, neck cranks, body slams. You gotta be correct me if I'm wrong. You can get that wrong. It's, it's yeah. bad. Everything can be gone in a second. 
wrestling is inches in, in many scenarios. Like you said, with like a pile driver, if you're off even by a little bit, that could be a broken neck. A lot of, a lot of trust. Yeah. <laughs> right before he's about to go out and wrestle, always grab him, even like give him a kiss, and be like, be safe, be safe. Every aspiring wrestler since the great local hero Bruno Sammartino needs nourishment. In this case, kielbasa, sauerkraut, some pierogies, and a side of molten mac and cheese. Oh, I should ask. Are you the heavy? What, is it the heavy or the uh, what? What's oh, the bad guy called? The, the heel. Do, are they, are they heel? The yeah. heel. Are, you yes. the, are either of you the heel or are you? The, she's a big baby I'm face. A mega I'm a baby face. Heel. Yes. So I'm baby face is who everybody wants to win. Yes. You're you're a heel. I am. So what qualities is one looking for in a heel? It's it's just being someone that an audience member either doesn't want to be or wants to see get their ass kicked. So overconfident. Yep. yep. Narcissistic. Yep. Sneaky. Uh huh. It's good. Yeah. Exactly. You might be good. You got it. You could, yeah. You could be, be a, a great heel tomorrow. Heel. Yeah. <laughs> Comes naturally. <laughs> <laughs> Is it a sport or is it more of a cathartic emotional experience? Because it goes beyond sport. There's nuance there. There are tortured souls who are struggling with the good and evil in themselves. Wrestling is live theater, it's right. sport, it's a rock concert, it's all this stuff wrapped into one. I, I think when people realize that pro wrestling has more in common with Game of Thrones than it does UFC, right. they accept it more and they appreciate it for what it is. to the usual corner, where the cold bass is delicious, chunky too, tasty too, make your belly feel so good. Everybody, come to the Yoza corner. Alexander Yoza Bodner fled Hungary during the Soviet Union's crushing suppression of their revolution in 1956. At Yoza Corner, he runs what's not really a restaurant in the classic sense, but a house party with food. Classics from the old country like chicken paprikash, langosh, and kobas. Oh, cheers. My dining companion is part of a more recent wave of immigrants. Jamilka Borges moved here from Puerto Rico in 2007 and began working in what was then a restaurant scene that was just getting started. You spent your whole life in Puerto Rico before you came I here? did. I moved here, what, when I was 21? And I don't know, Pittsburgh is like really unique, like in the sense that everybody knows each other. It's such a small town that yep. like you know everyone. And it was really easy to make friends and that made it easier. What about culturally? How different? Oh, cucumber salad? Cucumber salad. Beautiful. It's very much like a really white town. Like, you go to every single restaurant and like, it's white males. People not even understanding like, the relationship that we had as a country with Puerto Rico. Like, no, I don't need a green card to work here, right? Ten years later, she was running Spoon and getting national attention for her Latin-influenced take on new American food. 
Why did you decide to stay? Like I wanted to cook, which I had no clue what that meant, and I needed to cook something like for me, for my family, for like I don't know. Spice. Yeah, it's spice. It was like no. That's a that's a powerful move. It was like a kind of like like my family had no clue what was going into. I still remember like my grandmother being like, "You're gonna be what?" Like Puerto Rico. Like my grandma's vision was like, "Oh, you're gonna you either cook for your husband or family, or you're like like professional help." Certainly. When I started in the business, anyway, it was pretty much a boys' club in the kitchen. What was it like here when you started? Was it different here? No, it was, and I think to a certain degree, still is. Like this mushroom guy who comes every year, he knows who I am, and I'm like the only person like with a clipboard and whites, and he's still like, can I talk to the chef? Right. That's me. I'm on the side of. And smack you and write chef backwards no, on your yeah. forehead. <laughs> So, who's coming to town now? I mean, who are your customers? So, you know, last three, four years, we have been having like new move of like 30s, like young, mid 20-somethings to 30-something like engineers and like tech people moving into town. That's good for business. Sure, but... You seem wary about the future. Do you think this is a bubble? Do you think it's going to keep growing? I think I'm usually like a really positive person and I'm like, I want I want it to work. I just... Yes, I am definitely worried. I think that the city is growing fast and like, I don't know if we're able to keep up with it. The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish. So there have been arrests, suspensions, disciplinary hearings. They're shutting down graduation events. At this moment, the part of the protests that are admirable are young people calling attention to atrocities. Michael Roth is the president of Wesleyan University. I would like to make a space for them to do that as long as that space doesn't prevent other people from pursuing their education. Listen to The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish, on your favorite podcast app. This is not my town anymore. When I was young and growing up, we're shooting craps and chased by the cops. Now I'm sitting around with a bunch of people talking about hops. This is not my town anymore. The town of Braddock is where Andrew Carnegie built his first steel mill in the 1870s. By the turn of the century, he bought another one up the river, the Cary Furnaces. These smoke and fire belching behemoths were the heart of a steel producing industry that spread throughout the Monongahela River Valley, generating wealth and power to the few and a decent living to many. When tomorrow comes, you'll have a better so-called today. So your thinking of the day will decide your destiny and your future. And if you don't succeed, it's your own fault because you didn't take control of what you think. Because what you think is going to decide what you do, and what you do is going to decide what you get. Okay. Now, that's all for today, folks. Let's go to work. For the last 40 years, Tony Buba has been making documentaries about the fate of the working class in Braddock. He grew up here during the town's heyday, the 40s and 50s, before leaving to go to film school. Why'd you come back? Why'd I come back? I was gone from like 68 to about 75. Then I came home and I saw 
everything's decaying even more. Thing. And the, the people I hung out with, like this Sal, Carrilla, and other guys, they were these really characters. She gonna push the button on me. No one's gonna push a button on me. Nobody. Nobody. The only guy I can do that is that guy up there, JC. JC, my man. He's worth <laughs> A lot of World War II people that were starting to die off. And I was really like, this is going to disappear. And the industry's going away. So <laughs> I didn't know what else to make films about, so I just started documenting it. And I just wanted to capture it and get some of these characters on film and make it mythical. I thought, but, you, know, but you stayed in Braddock because Braddock was your subject. It was my subject. And I thought, OK, what if I move? If I move to Los Angeles, maybe I get a job in the industry. But what if I got stuck working on a love boat my whole life? You know? well, yeah, that would yeah. be the night. I mean, yeah, exactly. In the mid-20th century, the population of Braddock was 20,000. Today, it's down to 2,000, more than 40% of whom live below the poverty line. Oh, this is where I went to junior high school. Closed? Yeah, closed. So who's moving in? Is anyone moving in now? Well, nobody's moving into Pittsburgh, actually. Well, I thought you had all these tech jobs coming in. Yeah, they, and Uber and, you know, all that stuff is coming in, but they sort of do this upbeat bullshit about people coming in. If it wasn't for some 30,000 uh, immigrants, uh, the population would have dropped even more. Now, this is the, the, uh, the brewer. Right. Yeah, they've done really well with this place. Well, who drinks there? I mean, are they locals? No, no, it's too expensive, $7 a beer. There's people coming in on bicycles, grabbing a beer, getting something from the taco truck, and they want to sort of have a, like a, the wire experience, you know? Yeah, I was a braddock having a beer, you know, sort of they're giving a little cred to their lives, I don't know. And it's all sort of, you know, uh, white businesses. In 1988, the state classified Braddock as financially distressed, their term for bankruptcy, a status it still holds today. This is still working. This is still working. It's the only plant working in the whole Amont Valley. This is my dad worked for 46 years. The last time was I was there, it looked like a spaceship. It was all so modernized. There's probably 500 people doing the work. You know, when my dad was there, it was 5,000. So what do you think it's going to take? Or do you think it's, yeah. it's just going to die? Yeah. I think we're in the last stages of capitalism. Is this yeah, you're talking socialism. Yeah, yeah, I'm talking socialism, yeah. yeah. When the magical worker's paradise arrives, will Braddock be here? Will Braddock be here? I wish there was like a simple answer to all this. I'll die before I actually see what happened. I'm not going to know the story, and it really bothers me. It's the only thing I'm, I hate about the thought of dying is I don't know what the story is going to be. Pennsylvania sustained a, a, a real traumatic unraveling that was common in Rust Belt communities and towns, but ours was a particularly severe example of that. Average income? We're around 20,000, so Which we're is, was substantially uh, below the, the Pennsylvania average. Yeah, I'll have mothers that will call me on a Monday, and you know by Friday they're going to be out of food to feed their three kids, and this happens quite regularly. John Fetterman does not look like your typical mayor, and he isn't. He came to Braddock in 2001 to help at-risk youth get their GEDs and ran for office here in one of the most depressed towns in the state four years later. His wife, Giselle, is from Rio, and she runs a nonprofit that provides food and essential supplies for more than 1,500 families each month. A lot of people in this country are angry. They, they feel that their anger has not been acknowledged in any way. 
And frankly, I think they're right. Yep. Um, there is a sense, particularly in rural white America, mm -hmm. of aggrievement that nobody's listening, nobody's caring about them. Well, I, I mean, Western PA played a pivotal role in, in helping elect Donald Trump, right. and he turned Pennsylvania red for the first time since 88, and did it so with a margin of about 44,000 people, a lot of whom, as you referenced, are disaffected Democrats. Somebody phrased it to me where it's like, if the economy's not gonna work for me, then I don't want it to work for anybody. How does that manifest itself on a local basis for you? It's an honor to be involved, and I hope whoever it is that's next realizes that um, you need to go outside your community's borders to bring help in, and that's what I've tried to do. That means people like four-time Super Bowl champion Franco Harris. And if you're wondering how he could help, you might be surprised by the answer. Franco and I hope to be growing medical marijuana about a block from here. We put in an application for a, a, a large uh, grow facility here in our community, which would be a real economic shot in the arm, and it's been a real honor to partner with, with uh, someone uh, like Franco. Why is this a cause for you? I'm a believer in medical marijuana because of pain management. Mm -hmm. And uh, I've run into many ex-players who deal with pain management. And right now, the alternatives don't look good, and we have a lot of problems with the alternatives. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. that you know, Western PA has been ravaged by the opioid crisis, right. and, and it, it positions us for uh, the eventual legalization of marijuana. And um, it would also pull Braddock out of Act 47, so we would no longer be fiscally bankrupt. Braddock lost its initial bid for a medical marijuana license, but there are a few other madcap entrepreneurial efforts in town. Lone dreamers with a plan. One such dreamer is chef Kevin Sousa. Kevin was one of the first of a new generation of chefs to bring national attention to Pittsburgh when he opened his restaurant, Salt of the Earth, in 2010. What are we looking at here, chef? All right, so we are landlocked, so seafood is tough. This is a Lake Erie walleye pike, some uh, new potatoes from the farm, some of the crackling from the fish, took the skin, crisped it up, it's nice and crunchy, uh, and then just a lot of uh, little farm herbs. Now, after some bumps in the road, he's improbably turning this building, a former Chevy dealership, into his latest restaurant, Superior Motors. Opening night is less than a month away. Do I have to eat this? I mean, it's too pretty, it's too pretty to eat, jeez. The fish was amazing, by the way. Oh, thank you very much. Where were you born and raised? Uh, McKee's Rocks. Close to your roots. Yeah, yeah. In locality and in spirit. Is the restaurant business any, I mean, because I know you, you know, it's been bumpy for you. It has. You over, over expanded? Over expanded with no, no capital. I just thought I could, I just thought we were going to open the doors and everyone was going to go apeshit for whatever it is that I served. And, and I learned. As serendipity would have it, I met John, asked if I'd be interested in going for a walk in Braddock, came out to Braddock, fell in love. Um, with Braddock, no. With Braddock. <laughs> um, you know, it, it reminded me of McKee's Rocks, and McKee's Rocks, you know, has suffered much in the same way as Braddock has. Kevin says he has ambitions that go beyond turning a profit. His restaurant hopes to provide tuition-free training, and they're partnering with a local urban farm that employs high school students to grow produce in the shadows of the old steel mill. And then we are talking a swank, high-end restaurant designed to attract the moneyed classes from out of town. Locals will be offered steeply discounted meals. 
So this is beautiful grass-fed um, beef short ribs sitting on a bed of lightly blanched milkweed buds on top, a bunch of overwintered sunchoke chips. <laughs> awesome. That, 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 that's the compliment. Yeah, I was yeah, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> so what happens if everything works out the way you want it to? Meaning people are driving from all over the state, they're flying into to Pittsburgh, from all over the country. The parking lot is full of places, packed and fully booked every night. Then what happens? You're, you're moving towards the G word and... and um, <laughs> which, which word? No, <laughs> Bra Bra not yet. Braddock is, Braddock is gentrification proof, essentially. Um, our biggest challenge is, was a has been abandonment, not uh, people being displaced. To directly answer your question, Chef, long after I've shuffled off this mortal coil, um, the work will never be done here. This is a decades-long process. If you head east, 30 miles from Pittsburgh, you'll find yourself here in New Alexandria. It's a whole other world. No tech incubators here or fears of gentrification. Just good heartland fun on a Friday night. Family, fried dough, and demolition. Brooke Davis grew up a few towns over from here. Tonight, she's driving in the modified class, which means these cars ain't exactly street legal. The winner gets 900 bucks. So how long have you been doing this? Like getting into it, like six years. And uh, how, did, how, did, how did it all begin? Well, my dad, he, him and my uncle, you know, ran back in like the 80s and 90s. And it's just been something I grew up with, so. I mean, the only other thing I we really do for fun is we four-wheel, you know, four-wheelers, razors, side-by-sides, yeah. and hunt, and hunt. Chris Quenzler is a welder and considered one of the best demo mechanics in the area. What, what are the rules as far as the vehicle itself? I mean, can you build, theoretically, you're allowed to build some monster road warrior, you know, thing with some guitar dude on the front and, like, you know, special hidden reinforcement of spikes no, and shit? No, it's not death race. <laughs> it's not death race. But Brooke, Brooke is one of the best girl drivers, female drivers that I've seen. Wait a minute, what's the difference between male and female drivers? Is there any? There's not very many females that actually compete with the guys. Yeah, but wouldn't it be great to see some big meathead fall to his knees sobbing? <laughs> After you just totally Maybe. destroyed. Depends on Some guy who's been are. talking shit all week. Okay, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, come on. Yeah. That would have to be good. Yeah. So tonight, you're, you're, you're Probably I'm the only girl that's running out there with well, you guys. Let us hope that tonight is your night. I'm going to get another shot. Yes, cheers. Thank you. Right. Now, what's the sweet spot? Where do you want to hit a Wheels car? Wheels and tires. Yeah. Wheels and tires. Yeah. I like to look for the weakest car. Get them out of the way first.
I'm running with guys that have been running for a really long time. Sometimes they think I'm an easy target. Maybe I might get scared, but definitely not like that. I can battle it out to the end. I'm not going to quit. What's, what's the best part of driving? I mean, other than winning, obviously. I was going to say winning. My best moment of driving is anytime it comes down to me and my brother or one of me and my friends, when you get down to the end knowing you beat everybody else. So when you destroy a friend's hopes and dreams, that's... Oh, it's the best. <laughs> By the end, most cars are worse for wear. Brooke comes in third place, so she doesn't walk away empty-handed. All over western Pennsylvania, from small towns like this to the largest city, Pittsburgh, people face the same struggles as beleaguered, deindustrialized areas across the country. How do you move into the future and hold on to what you love about the past? There are probably no easy answers. Things will change. They are changing. But for now, let's just wreck some cars.